0: Good morning, church. Are you awake? Okay. All right. Good. Um, Holy Spirit has been here this morning. Do you feel his presence? Do you you feel what I feel? Wait, let me start with question number one. Are you awake? Do you feel what I feel? Okay. Okay. I mean, sometimes the presence just puts you to sleep. I get that. You just needed that peace. You've not not felt it in so long, it just put you right to sleep, right? Um, I wanna welcome everyone that's online watching today. I wanna welcome uh, my daughter and her husband, my son-in-law from Nashville, Tennessee. They're here this weekend, Michaela and Lawrence. Hey, why don't you guys run up here real quick? We'll get you a mic. Just run up here super quick for, I don't have much time, but a minute. Give us an update. Where's Lalo? Check, check. Let's give it up for Lawrence. Why don't you guys give us a a 30 second update on life and how we as a church, well your church can keep praying for you and lifting you up.
1: Every time he tells us to give an update, I think people think I'm pregnant and I'm not. (laughs) So I just want to, I'm sorry, I'm not, but...
0: Tell him the big news. Yeah,
1: anyways, um, we're still married. I I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, um, so I've just been going to college. I'm studying to get a Master's of Divinity. Turns out I love theology. Imagine that. Yeah. Pastor's kid. Um and so I'm doing that. There's like this co-op program at the belonging co in Nashville, which is a church there. That's super awesome. And so I've been doing that and it's been great. And Lawrence is loving his job. He just talked to Dave Ramsey the other day. So there's a highlight. Um, what, what do you want to share?
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, work is going good. Uh, I guess just prayers for just continued favor and uh, just wisdom to be able to you know, grow in my role and uh, just bless people with the work that I do. So yeah, it's, it's exciting. I really love the work that I do. Awesome. Well, we love every time you guys get
0: to come be a part of worship. We have an incredible worship team, every single person that's up here. Before, before you go, uh, we typically start out our message with prayer. Do you wanna pray over me? Yeah. Okay. Will you guys stand? Lift your hand, point point your hand toward me. Let's just pray over the word, over me, that I can deliver what the Lord has. Sure.
2: God, thank you so much for Pastor Trey, God, and just the anointing that you've put on his life, God, to just lead us all closer to you and to uh, teach us in, in the word. God, I just ask that your Holy Spirit just rests on him. And just, uh, just give him wisdom to, to communicate everything that, that you want him to communicate this morning. Um, and that you just use him to love on every single person that's tuning in online and every single person in this room. Um, and just just uh, e- even things that I didn't plan to preach, God, just give him those uh, those additional things that, that will just uh, ca- cause us all to leave change this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you.
2: All right. You may be seated.
0: He prayed for additional things. I will tell you, I have six pages of notes. So the additional will put us around nine or 10 pages. Um, I think he also said the wisdom to know what to share. So maybe I'll cut out some of the six pages and I'll, you know, I'll watch the time. You guys have nowhere to go today anyway, right? You have nowhere to go. You'll be back here later. That's right, because Spirit Connection is not at six tonight. It's at Four, that's right, four o'clock. Thank you, that was a great segue for a promo I needed to work in, Chris. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, today we're gonna take Michael and Lawrence to the airport and they head back home because, you know, Monday is calling for them and we'll say farewell and we'll go ahead and plan the next time. We found it's easier if we know when they're coming again rather than just, bye, you know. And so even if, even if the next time is Christmas, which it's not, but if it were, if it were, just to know when it is, do you know what I mean, makes the goodbye a little bit easier. I was thinking about goodbyes, because uh, some of us are good with goodbyes, no problem. Some of you say goodbye before the relationship is even over. I had a, I had a best friend um, that did that. I almost said his name. That would have been so dumb. I just thought you were at my coffee table. We were just chatting. Anyway, th- we were best friends, and he was a military kid, and i had really never... I'd had best friends like elementary school best friends, but not really anything meaningful. Come to think of it, my entire life, my 47, 48 years of life, I've only had you know, less than five, what I would call like ride-or-die, 2 a.m. call friends, you know what I mean? And uh, this was one of them, and... His dad got orders, and he was going to be moving out of state. He was stationed at Bergstrom Air Force Base in Austin. And uh, we were doing ministry together. We had created this whole ministry, and, you know, he was, like, going to be my lifelong friend. Guys, listen, this was before social media. So when someone moves, it's, like, the end of the day, unless they're going to pick up a pen and write you a letter. Do you know what I mean? And um, so this guy... Before he even moved, he just started cutting the relationship off. Because it was easier for him, you know, to be angry at me than to admit that there was pain in the goodbye, right? It was easier for him to just shut down the relationship than to continue to foster something that he knew was at some point going to end. And it really wounded me pretty, pretty bad, actually, but I've learned as an adult that not everyone is good at goodbyes. I'm not even always good. At, sometimes I'm good at goodbyes. It depends on who I'm saying goodbye to, what the context is, how far they're going, where you know, when I'll see them again, that kind of thing. But there are there are different levels of goodbye, you know? I made a list, um, from kind of easiest to hardest, all right. Leaving a lunch, a dinner, or today's worship service is going to be a goodbye. And it, it should be a fairly easy goodbye for you, you know, because you're coming back again next week, right? Or you're coming back at four, Chris. And our spirit connection people, they're like, Oh, yeah, we might as well just stay here. But that's a pretty easy goodbye. Those of you that are in school, you say goodbye to your friends for the day. That's an easy goodbye. Would you all agree? Maybe the next level is is a little bit harder, kind of like Mikhail and Lawrence today. We're sending them on the airport to the airport saying goodbye to them. We know we're gonna see them again, but it's not gonna be next Sunday. So that's a that's a bit harder goodbye. And and quite honestly, Nashville is only a twelve hour drive. Eleven hour drive some days. So it's not that bad. It's bad, it's just not not super bad. But Then there's another kind of goodbye, maybe when you send a soldier overseas during wartime. That's a different kind of goodbye. When you send a husband or a wife or mother or father or son, brother, sister, daughter to a TDY, temporary duty assignment, they're stationed over, maybe in Iraq for two years or four years or whatever, whatever the situation is, and you just know that you can't touch them. It's a little bit harder, you know. When Micah and Rachel come to visit us from Australia, it's pretty hard to say goodbye because they're not just a 12-hour drive. They are a 20-something-hour flight. No, it doesn't mean that we love Micah more than Michaela. Just settling that. But you, she said, oh, I know that. But you understand what I'm saying. It's a little bit harder to say goodbye in that situation. Um, And then sometimes we have to say goodbye when people die. And that's tough. It's tough when you lose your mom, lose your dad, lose a a child. Wow, I can't imagine. Um, So we have different levels of goodbye. and life doesn't really, you know, I, you don't graduate high school and then get a handbook on how to handle the different levels of goodbye. So sometimes, if we're not careful, we mix up the goodbyes. And like when Michael and Lawrence leave today, if I were to treat it as if it was a death, I would create more pain for me because it's not a death. Them leaving is not a death. I don't need to mourn as if it's a death. It's a different goodbye. Do you, do you know what I mean? Now, there is kind of a... a goodbye that we're coming upon in the next few weeks it's a big goodbye it's a massive goodbye in fact the whole world celebrates in about three weeks the goodbye of jesus christ on calvary the death of the lord on the cross brutally beaten and he took his last breath now for us sometimes it's like you know michaela will say i keep using them as an example but she she'll come and visit and she'll say, I can't believe when y'all left in December, I cried so much. Because now she, she sees the other side of it. Do you know what I mean? It's easy for us as Christians to see the other side of the cross. To see the victory, to see the resurrection, to, to see, you know, the whole story that the disciples didn't get to see, guys. They had heard it, but they didn't get to see it. They didn't witness it until later And so I often think about the goodbye of Jesus in his last breath because Jesus was their only hope. That's a a big goodbye. But Jesus prepped his disciples before he left. He prepped them for the goodbye because there was a life-changing hello that needed to happen after the goodbye. Do you know what I mean? Like, he didn't want them caught off guard. He prepared them really good in john chapter 16 verse 7 it says nevertheless i tell you the truth it is to your advantage that i go away for if i do not go away the helper will not come to you but if i go i will send him to you so jesus is preparing the disciples for the goodbye but he wants to kind of tag holy spirit because holy spirit is coming on the scene and he wants them to know you you're not really getting both. I need to go so I can send him. But when I go, don't mourn like it's a death. Because there's a new hello that you need to be looking for. And just as there are many levels of goodbye, there are also many different levels of hello. I, I don't know if you're as, you know, able as me to tell when someone says, how's your day, but they don't really want to know. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, hey, how are ya? And you? And you almost start to tell them, but they've already gone. Do you know? And, and we've all been guilty of saying that too, like just, it's flippant. Hey, how are you? You know, it's, it's saying hi, and, and listen, never minimize or diminish the simple hello to a stranger. That. That may be just what the Lord uses. Do you know what I mean? You don't have to get into a 20-minute conversation, counseling session with every stranger that you meet. Sometimes you can just say hello. But there are different levels of engagement. I, I wouldn't be okay if when my kids came home from work or school, if all they said to me in that evening was, Hi, and there was no more communication. There are different levels of engagement. My wife would not be okay if all I said to her every day was, hello. She wants to know, and I'm not the best at this, but she wants to know what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, what I've eaten for the day, where I've gone, what color my socks are. Do you know if I've changed my underwear? She wants to know everything. She does, she's like, no, I don't care about that. Do you, I hope I'm comparing and contrasting to you the different levels of engagement from goodbyes to hellos. Because what I want to talk to you today about is, is the presence of God. Our text in Exodus chapter 33 picks up on the hills. So yeah, go ahead and turn in your Bibles. I love to hear pages turning. Um, turn in your Bibles. Some of you are just shaking the notes. Very clever. Turn to Exodus 33. Our text is going to pick up today um, in the middle of a very important and exciting moment in the lives of the Israelite people. And the Israelites, not more than five months ago, had been freed as slaves in Egypt. And their leader, Moses, had confronted Pharaoh with the help of God and some miraculous plagues which led Pharaoh to release the Israelites. You remember the big moment, the sea parts, they walk through and the army is drowned. That was about five months ago, and here they sit at the base of Mount Sinai, and in chapter two, I'm, I can't preach out of this today because I don't, just don't have the time, uh, but Exodus 32 is probably one of the best chapters in the Bible, where they build the golden calf. Moses goes up to the mountain to meet with God. This is where he gets the Ten Commandments. And while Moses is, you know, away from the people, they get distraught. They get idle, they are impatient, and they go to Aaron and say, we have to build something to worship. And so the people take off their ornaments, their jewelry, their earrings, and necklaces, rings, everything they had. They throw it into the fire, melt it, and they form a calf, a golden calf. And the people begin to worship the golden calf. Well, God gets very upset because they created an idol. They didn't wait for, you know, the move of God. And so Moses comes back down. This is the funny part. And Aaron says, I don't know what happened. We just threw all this stuff in the fire and out came a golden calf. You know, I can't wait to tease him about that when I get to heaven. I'm like, did you really? That sounds like a lie one of my kids would have made, just like thinking you're going to believe it. The gold just went into the fire and just popped out a calf. I don't think so. And so then we get to Exodus 33, and there's probably no greater chapter in Scripture that talks about the presence of God than Exodus 33. And I'm just going to read verses 1 through 15. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people, you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Pezarites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. This is the promised land. But I will not go with you, because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. What are the ornaments? The earrings. The things that they had used to make the calf. Now they're feeling they got in trouble, they're feeling guilty, so they want nothing to do with the things that created the idol. So they took off their ornaments Verse five, for the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. Now, let me just paint a quick picture for you. This tent will eventually become the tabernacle, the thing that held the presence of God. Okay, So the tent also holds the presence of, of God, which is what we're talking about. So as Moses would begin to uh, walk to the tent, the people would stand in front of their own tent doorways and watch him walk that way. Verse 9, as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance of their tent, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. So Moses left the tent. But his young aide, Chad, did not leave the tent. Oh, not Chad. Uh, I, Chad, it's not Chad. I thought of Chad when I read this. <laughs> Sorry. Young son, I mean, young aide Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the tent. I thought of Chad because Chad would just be happy if he lived in a worship rehearsal. No sleep, no food, just worship. Where is Chad? Where is he? Oh, he's in the back. He's probably like, yeah, you're right, you're right. Anyway, Chad did not leave the tent. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Verse 14. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Translation. If you ain't going, I ain't going. If your presence isn't going, I'm staying right here. In the place where I got a whooping, in the place where I disobeyed, in the place where I'm getting hungry for something different, in the place where I might get captured, if your presence ain't going, I ain't either. And I know that's bad English, but that's a good translation. If your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. You see, the promised land... The milk and honey, the promise, is meaningless without presence. I'm going to say that again for those of us who've been just praying for that new job, praying for that relationship, praying for this, praying for that. The promise is meaningless if you don't have the presence. I'm hungry for the presence, y'all. I'm hungry. I am so thirsty for the move of God. I don't want to play church. I don't want to preach a sermon that's not filled with power. I don't want to sit down at coffee with you if Jesus ain't in the middle of it. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. And honestly, I. I don't care if it's me and four other people or six other people in the room who are hungry for a move of God, who don't care about nothing else, who don't care about the reputation, who don't care if they look like a fool, who don't care if they sing off key, who don't care if they run around the building or if they trip or what. I'm just hungry for a move of God. And one thing I know about him is when sin increases in the world, when chaos increases in the world, his grace rises his power rises. His, his presence rises. I know sometimes it feels like it feels like we, we can't feel him or our prayers are hitting the wall and ceiling and coming back down. But I'm just telling you, this world is getting so crazy and out of control. But what you may not realize is his presence is flooding this earth like it has never before in generations before. Can we see it? I'm not one that actually believes in an end time revival. I don't believe it's scriptural, but that's another sermon another day. I think that the Bible, in my interpretation of it, there's an order of events, and I believe that there is a massive revival that haps, happens after the rapture of the church. There, uh, there's a, a new scroll that is eaten that is sweet and bitter, and he's told to prophesy again, and like every, the history of the church, the last, 2000 years repeats all in the matter of the tribulation and it is like an apostolic powerhouse i, I may not believe in a global revival but i do believe in a trade revival i do believe in a rose home revival i do believe in a the exchange church revival are you with me that doesn't mean that my life my home can't live in revival It doesn't mean that your home, your life can't live in revival. It doesn't mean that Austin, Texas can't live in revival. (laughs) But it takes his presence. It takes someone who knows how to host the presence of God. Rather than strategies and systems and plans to make sure we do all the stuff, all the processes, do you know what I mean? Like, there's great needs. There are so many needs out in the world. In Austin alone, there's no way that we as a church could meet them all. But what we can do is we can host the presence of God so that people can come, encounter him, and their lives can be changed and transformed. Not by what we're doing. Not by strategies. And listen, I'm a systems guy. I'm not trying to say systems aren't important. Order is important. I'm just saying that we need the presence of God. Let me give you a few quotes on the presence of God. In William Hendricks's book, Exit Interview, he asks why today's generation is leaving the church. He summarizes the views of many young church dropouts, uh, 30, age 30 or less, why are they leaving the church? Perhaps the most common complaint... Um, was that worship services were boring. It was not just that these gatherings weren't interesting. These young people that are leaving the church actually said they're not encountering worship. That's not a song. What they're really saying is, I don't feel the presence of God. The lights are cool. The screens are cool. The music's great. The singers are great. But I need something life-changing. That's what the world is saying. This is exactly what A.W. Tozier meant when he wrote, The world is perishing for lack of knowledge of God. The world is perishing for the lack of knowledge of God, and the church is famishing for want of his presence. Vance Havner, he's a preacher from the early 20th century, in the 20s and 30s. I mean, this guy, I actually left a link on your notes, a biography that you can go and read when the preacher's not talking about this guy, because it's a very interesting short little article about his life. He was saved at the age of uh, 10. Yes, yeah, saved at the age of 10. He was licensed to preach at the age of 12. Age of 12. Uh, he once said, Nothing is scarier today in churches than the absence of the presence of God. I think Moses is... The most interesting case study in scripture about the presence of God. Because in, in Exodus 3, we see that Moses is running from the presence of God. But in Exodus 33, we see that he's running towards it. In other words, he's not going to move on unless he has the presence of God. What would happen in our life if we said, I'm not, I'm not moving city unless the presence of God tells me to move city. I'm not moving career unless the presence of God tells me to move career i'm not marrying him or dating him or holding his hand unless god tells me that that's okay what would happen if we just didn't take a step unless the presence of god were there what does the bible say about the presence of god oh gosh i've got seven minutes and i'm going to get through this the first thing that the bible says about the presence of god is that it's everywhere Look at your neighbor and say, you can't outrun it. The presence of God is everywhere. The psalmist wrote, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. The presence of God is everywhere, right? The spirit of God is everywhere everywhere that's comforting to the godly it's not so reassuring to the ungodly he is everywhere he sees everything he knows all things the presence of god is everywhere but the scripture also says it's not just this blanket around the earth the presence of god is personal personal in john 16 verses 12 through 15 It says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear now. But when he, everybody say he. When he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Holy Spirit is personal. That means a couple of different things. If you have said yes to Jesus, if you, um, if you consider yourself a son, a daughter, the Holy Spirit lives within you. He lives inside of you. It's per- He's personal. Sometimes we don't know how to talk about Holy Spirit. We just say it or the, you know, the Holy Spirit, but it's, it's actually a very tangible, personal thing. It's a he. He. It, the scripture keeps referencing he. He is with us. He will teach. He will guide. He will lead. He will speak. He will hear. He can be grieved. He can be insulted. He can be quenched. He can be welcomed very personal. Not only that, Holy Spirit knows how to communicate directly to you what you're going through, what you're experiencing. Yes, there is a call going out around the globe of what he's wanting to do in the world. There is a, a thing in the room that's happening right now that he's wanting to do. But there's also something personal he wants to do. Paul, something personal just for you. Something just for you, Anthony. Holy Spirit wants something just for you, Delilah. Holy Spirit wants to do something very personal just for us. And I think sometimes, Michael, we forget that. We say we want to partner with Holy Spirit, but we don't lean into what he wants to do specifically for us. Yes, what the Holy Spirit is doing around the world is big. What he's doing in Texas is big. What he's doing in the room is big. But the biggest thing I want you to focus on today is what he's doing inside of you. I love the the tent and the tabernacle and how it references our interaction with Holy Spirit and even the levels of engagement with Holy Spirit. We have that picture, can we throw it on the screen? Maybe we don't. Okay. Oh, look in there. It's also on the back of your notes, if you want to look at that. Uh, if you enter from the right of the tent or the, the tabernacle, um, you see the altar of burnt offerings, then the laver. The laver is where you wash your hands. That's the outer courtyard, okay? The outer courtyard. And then there's another step you can go in. Once you leave the outer courtyard, you can go into the holy place. All right, the holy place, you've got the altar of incense, the table of showbread, menorah. Um, oftentimes when, when you really lean into the presence of God, the glory of God uh, becomes made manifest, which is a, a point I'll, I'll share in a moment. Something tangible happens. Um, many people report an aroma, like an incense, a smell whenever the glory of the Lord is present in a place. So it's beyond, you know, just our prayer time. It's beyond the interaction that we have. You know, I'm just going to take authority right now over distraction. Can I, is that all right? Right now, in the name of Jesus, Father, I thank you that this word is going to go forward without the distraction, without the moving around, without the talking, without the laughing. Uh, God, I thank you that this word is important. And the people in this room need to hear this. So, God, I just thank you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I think sometimes we miss it as a church. I'm not talking about us specifically, but yeah, I'm not leaving us off the table. As church, we gather around a sermon, which builds the pastor's ego. Or we gather around the worship music. We make that the thing, you know, which sells albums. Uh, We make it about... Kids ministry, we make that the thing that we gather around. Sometimes we gather around a building, we gather around friends, we gather around family. I was actually told in my ministry training that everything in the service should lead and point to the sermon. That's how I was taught, and it makes sense. It makes sense because I'm giving you the word, and it should settle and it should land right, everything. That is the big crescendo, but, you know, that was actually wrong. It shouldn't be about the sermon. We shouldn't build church around any element that we can provide. It should center around the presence. Whether you're on campus or you're at home right now, You should have shown up today for the presence of God. Because it's the presence of God that will convict you, not just if the pastor preaches a good sermon. It's the presence of God that will heal you. It's the presence of God that will cause those demons you've been entertaining to flee. There were a few more points I'm not going to get to. One point was the presence of God can be quenched. You can quench what the Spirit of God wants to do in community. By being distracted, by loving the world. You can quench what the Spirit of God wants to do in your life by having a critical spirit. The presence of God can be made manifest. Something tangible. You ever had goosebumps in a moment where you're like, is that God or is that the AC? That's the manifest presence of God. When the presence of God is made manifest, limbs grow out. Deaf ears are opened blind eyes are opened when the presence of god is made manifest tangible apparent clear alcoholism runs drug addiction runs you know what i mean like the presence of god can cover the earth it's going to cover it whether you serve him or not The presence of God, the personal presence of God is going to stay right inside you. You know, in the Old Testament, it was different. In the Old Testament, if you didn't obey, the presence left you. The presence of God left Saul, left David. It left and then returned when they were straightened up doing it right. New Testament's not like that. The the presence of God doesn't leave you because you've done something wrong. Thank you, Jesus. Can we just say thank you, Jesus, for that? It remains. Whether you feel it or not, the presence of God is in you. But that manifest presence of God, where just the atmosphere shifts in a very tangible way. There have been congregations that I know of personally that witness almost like clouds in the room and it's not the smoke machine. Witness almost like gold dust And it's not glitter from the risers that someone's throwing out. I've been in a revival service. There was a great revivalist that would pray for people that had cavities. I don't know if I'd like that calling or not. But he prayed over them and their their cavities were filled with gold. I witnessed it. I saw it. I saw the gold fillings. When the presence of God is made manifest, miracles happen. Because I'm hungry for the presence of God. I'm not, I, I'm grateful for, but not hungry for the presence of God that's around the earth. I'm, if that ain't go anywhere. I, I walk in that day in day out. I'm not, I'm grateful for, but not hungry for the personal presence. I, me and Holy Spirit, we click, we got it. We got it going on. What I'm hungry for is to see something that I ain't seen before. Something, more than we've encountered even as a body of believers. I'm hungry for the dead to raise. I'm hungry for the blind to see. I'm hungry for just miraculous encounters all because you and I showed up, not because of a sermon, not because of a song, not because we get a break from watching our kids during this hour and a half. We showed up because we're hungry for the presence of God. Can we sing that? Let's just let's just sing for a moment. The presence of God can be pursued, guys. You can pursue it right now.
3: I your feet. I'm caught up in this
0: church with the boys I Is that why we showed up today?
3: Nothing else, nothing else would do, I just
0: David Wilkerson is a famous... I don't know if he's famous or not. I know him. But he once interviewed a thousand pastors. And he asked the pastors if they would... Rather have power or purity. And most of them said power. Which would seem like the right answer. But the power comes when we lean into the purity presence of God. The picture I gave you of the tabernacle, the laver is on the outside, the outer court. So there's some, some washing that goes on before you enter into the holy place or the holy of holies. That doesn't mean that you make yourself clean. It means if you want to encounter the presence of God, you have to be willing to lay your heart bare and say, Lord, purify me. this week, I want to invite you to try to step into the presence of God on your own. I think you'll find it's easier than you may think. Walk into your bathroom. Lock the door behind you. And just close your eyes. Don't look at yourself in the mirror. And just say some simple prayer like, God, I'm sorry. Holy Spirit, I'm sorry that I have... I'm sorry that I've caused you to grieve. I'm sorry that I've pushed your presence off the table. I'm sorry that I've cared cared more about wars and rumors of wars or food shortages or gas prices or the economy or politics more than your presence. Holy Spirit, will you just come right now? Make yourself known to me. I'm hungry to encounter you in a tangible way. And then you stand there with your eyes closed and you just wait, you just wait. Holy Spirit wants to encounter you. We just have to receive him, amen. Father, I thank you for time together today. I thank you that your presence isn't something that you hide from us. God, your presence is something that we can pursue, that we can lean into, that we can grow in. There are different levels of engagement. We can, God, just know you so much more than a, hey, how's it going? Hi, how's your day? We can intimately know you like you intimately know us. God, this week, let your presence become flesh in our life. In Jesus' name I pray.